Hello, welcome to a second chance. My name is Phil Jones. As always, I'm a brother, Mr. Carl Cook, and our special guest, Ms. Isbridge Jr. Uh, before we get into the story, um, just want to kind of do our part in recognizing September 11. That was yesterday. Uh, we didn't have a show yesterday, so we couldn't do it yesterday. So uh, just bear with me, give 15 seconds, and uh, you know, honor these uh, heroes and, and the ones that we lost uh, 20 years ago. Great. All right. Appreciate that. Uh, 15 seconds. Uh, Alex, jump right in there, man. The floor is yours, sir. What's going on, everybody? Um, thank you, uh, Philip and Tafiro, for inviting me today to a second chance. I really appreciate this time to uh, let me share my story. Um, I'm 41 years old. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I'm a one-time kidney transplant recipient, and right now uh, I am looking for a new kidney uh, I'm currently doing peritoneal dialysis uh, every day um, and am looking to, um, obviously, like I said before, get a kidney transplant, a second kidney transplant. Um, I'm very connected in the kidney space. I've done a lot of different, uh, I'm in different avenues. I've worked in uh, the pharmaceutical area, doing some conversations, having conversations with folks, sharing about uh, the importance of, of, of bringing kidney disease awareness to folks from all walks of life to kiddos to parents to um, different folks in the kidney space, dialysis technicians and nephrologists. Um, I've shared my story as a transplant recipient. My, my kidney lasted 13 years. Um, let me back up and talk a little bit about that story again. I was 26 uh, and thought I had food poisoning one night. Uh, and when I woke up, um, I felt like I needed to get some things checked. So I went to a um, little clinic, like a, like a local, like dock in the box kind of place uh, locally to where I live here in, in Kentucky uh, about thir 13, 14 years ago to check my blood pressure. They were doing free blood pressure screenings. So I was checking my blood pressure and it was 210 over 130. It was really, really high. Uh, didn't have a stroke, but was, but was feeling pretty, pretty worn down, pretty rotten. And so, uh, the doctor and the nurse practitioner were like, asked me to lay down. They turned off the lights. They thought I was going to have a stroke any minute. And, uh, so they told me to go to the hospital to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room with, um, with no insurance, which was fun, um, for about two and a half days. And, uh, they ran a whole bunch of tests and found out that an ultrasound and in the ultrasound found out I was only born with one kidney. Um, and then that one kidney, um, was failing at this time and were, and they just were couldn't tell me why it was failing but that it just it was and that i was going to have to start dialysis so i started um hemodialysis the first time um and walked into the, into the center around easter of 2007 is when i started that um that first time and did um and center hemodialysis and was kind of shot was shook just because didn't know you know I crashed into the dialysis, and I know that's a that's very common amongst people. Um, that usually it's not something that happens slowly, but usually you just find out kind of a little too little too late. And so I um, started dialysis for 18 months. Um, had a lot of surgeries, had like a fistula put in, 
had a catheter, had, had a port put in, all these things put in. Um, and over time, like I found out that my uh, facial load wasn't working, that I had a blood clotting disorder while I was on dialysis. And so <clears throat> had to deal with all of that, um, of having all being cut up on and having, you know, three different fish put in and all not working. Um, and even to this day, still, I don't have fish that work. Um, and, uh, so I, um, was getting ready, uh, this first time around with my internet dialysis, I was going to get ready to put a dialysis port in my leg. Uh, and then the leg, then a transplant came about. And so I was fortunate enough after 18 months of doing in center hemodialysis, a lady who I went to church with uh, here in Kentucky was willing to test and she tested and she, and we, uh, we matched and had the surgery in June of 2007. And it, uh, it, it took for 13 years. And then fast forward to um, July of 2020 during COVID times, um, I had gotten sick and my creatinine and my GFR and my, and just my levels were starting to kind of were creeping up enough where my nephrologist said to me, you're going to have to go back on dialysis. Um, so, uh, July of 2020 started, I did a little bit of in center before I got a, um, PD catheter installed and did the, um, training for that. And, uh, I've been doing that ever since. Um, and so that's been kind of what I'm doing as a patient. Uh, and then professionally, um, what I've been able to do with my, um, kind of my advocacy and what I've been doing, uh, I've connected obviously with the National Kidney Foundation and with, through that with, um, I've met, uh, Edward with Why Not and I've met the crew with Tafiro and, and Philip and Wills and everybody. There've been some great folks, um, and being able to just kind of continue to, advocate and get the message out that it's important to talk to folks about what kidney disease is and what to do to, you know, prevent it. Um, I've also done so I'm currently working or I'll, let me speak up. I was working initially, um, with the university of Kentucky as a transplant recipient, uh, when I, when I was a transplant recipient as an advocate traveling all over the region of Kentucky, talking to patients and, uh, helping them understand what the transplant process was like. Um, and and just help them kind of refer them to UK as a, as an option for them to get transplants. Um, did that for about two years, and then COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, um, it was kind of a mutual agreement for me to kind of part ways because of just being immunocompromised. I wasn't able to work too much um, and travel into those centers because of my being sick and then not wanting to bring any kind of disease to the patients while I would do that stuff. So. Uh, I chose, you know, I moved on, but now I work for a company out of California, out of uh, San Francisco called um, Cricket Health. And it's a wellness program for uh, insure, certain insurers, specifically geared for kidney patients who may or may not know they have kidney disease and have that conversation about preventative care and um, getting them to partner with a nurse and a social worker, a dietitian and a pharmacist. And so I work on their uh, operations team as an engagement specialist and I help to kind of enroll them in the program and kind of give them an insight as to what it means to, um, you know, what this program could do for them and help them kind of live their best life and, and stay out of the hospital and those things. Uh, so that's me, uh, right now in a nutshell, if you guys have any questions, you know, what's I'm here to take any more. Okay. Um, 
I thought Phil was going to start, but he says I always uh, have a million questions. <clears throat> Alex, um, when you when you were in, when you was born, or I mean, just coming up, no one ever told you you had a, a single kidney. That's no, right? Yeah, I was born. So I was born as a oh yeah. So I'll tell more. I was born as a preemie. I was born like four months early, um, and so I had like you know I was in an incubator for six months and had a blood transfusion at the first 10 months of my life. So there's a lot of things going on health wise for me. Um, I had a collapsed lung. I had a lazy eye. I mean, you name it. I had a lot of health issues as a baby. And as I got older, those things kind of sort of went away. Um, and then it wasn't until my mid twenties where, when the kidney stuff happened. So there's, it, I always have wondered why, like in the eighties when I was born, why they didn't like look at the whole body, why they didn't check to see why there was only one kidney. But when you're a preemie, I mean, obviously they're the big focus with them is my lung development and my brain development. So they didn't really look at my kidneys or my liver. I mean, so that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And you said, you said you were, uh, you were 26 when you first got, got like learned and you thought you had food poisoning. You Mm -hmm. went to the doctor. Right. And that's when they told you, you had a, you were going into kidney failure. Correct. Man, that's, that, I know mm-hmm. that was a blow. What, what were you doing at that time? Was you in college? Or I just finished grad. I just finished college, um, and I had moved. Actually, I had finished college a year before, and I had moved from. Uh, I was living in Arizona for a year. Actually, I was hiking the Grand Canyon in uh, in, in Arizona in 2005, um, and then in 2006 when I moved to Kentucky um, is when I got sick. I moved here. For a woman um and got and was here and have been here ever since um and so we had just gotten together and we were uh newly you know newly um just i kind of took my leap of faith and left arizona with nobody not not knowing anybody and moving to kentucky not knowing anybody except the the woman who i was with and um so we uh we i'd been here maybe three months four months before i got sick or before i got what i thought was food poisoning and uh and got in the rest of history. And then I, you know, was in the hospital almost pretty much the beginning of me moving to Kentucky. So, um, yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that's wild, man. Uh, and then you found out, you said, so you started, you started dialysis in 2007, correct? That's correct. when you first started. Yeah. I want to say it was 2007. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like end of 2006 or so, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you started, they gave you the CVC cast. They did. They did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and that, and that I found out quickly that I had, uh, Cat, um, a lot of fibrin built up in there, so like it was always alarming, and still doing it. It was still doing it even just last second time around too. But yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's something, man. That's that's kind of crazy because the same thing happened when I first got my CVC. Uh, I had a lot of uh, uh, scar tissue builds up around. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I couldn't keep it for a long time. So and and just like you said, you know, they, they did uh, several surgeries to get you your fistula. You know, I know some people who have fistulas one time, and the fistula was great. I had to have 12 surgeries on my arm, and they had to go up high to do my fistula. And so when you said you had the three surgeries, man, that, that reminds me, because I had got one surgery done the same day it stopped thrilling. I mean, mm-hmm. that night I go home, it was it was You can stuck. feel it. Yeah, 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 exactly. I hate I that. Like, yeah. Yep, and it's never, it's never, it's never easy to when you feel it like not, you don't feel that thrill, or you like, and it just, right. or when they stick you and they stick you wrong, and like I, I remember the first time they stuck me, they infiltrated me exactly, exactly, had a huge hematoma, like a massive oh, on my arm. Yeah. 
I was like, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why, like, before I used to stick myself, man, I had one nurse. Mm-hmm. That I will only let her touch my fistula because uh, yeah. of all the surgeries and blood clots and infiltrations, mm-hmm. I would uh, only let her touch it. Then I found out how to start doing it myself. And I mm-hmm. had the big gauge needles, and I would do it myself, and then I didn't have to worry about nobody else. Good that for was, you, man. Was, Good yeah, for that you. Was my thing. <laughs> right. But um, and you said uh, you started on, um, you, you started on, uh, you did, did you do uh, hemo? The first time around, always? Or did I you did. Okay. I started hemo. So the first time around, <clears throat> I did internal hemo for the 18 months and then got the kidney transplant. And then now, yeah. I did, I'm doing it again, and I've done PD the second time. Right, because I remember when you and I talked for a while, and when you first got on this time, yeah. you were doing hemo. I was, so I, I was. Know, right, yeah. right. And mm-hmm. I didn't know they were, because I thought you were still on hemo until you said that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so you, do, you do the cycler at nighttime right now. No, I do manuals right now, actually. I do four, okay. I do manuals, yeah. That, so, like, I'm actually in this in the process of figuring out, like, because my levels are all off, my potassium and my phosphorus, my nephrologist is, is giving me a, a heavy recommendation to go back onto a cycler. And I don't, I just, I did not do well with the cycler. I just, I felt that was always alarming. I felt very, like, just uh, once I, la- I felt like I was like almost like a spaceship. But like, once I got into it and I got connected at night with a, with the with the cycler, I couldn't really move. You know, right. like a lot. You know, I had, you know, I have a young child. You know, yeah. I have, you know, pets. You know, all those things. So, I just thought it was so much easier to do manuals. But for whatever reason, the manuals still aren't working. I'm not getting the most effective adequacy and. So they were like, you need to go back. They're, they're, they're telling me I either need to go back on to um, hemo, internal hemo or do the cycler. And I'm like, I need a second opinion. <laughs> so I'm right, in right. right now because I don't feel like I should have to make that choice. You know, that's not, that's not either here yeah, or there. Well, well, when I did, I did, I did peritoneal and I did it manually because it was the cycler wasn't even out when I first started doing it. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I had to do, I first started with five bags, mm-hmm. I mean, four bags. Then I had to move the five back because I wasn't getting the the, uh, the adequate. Right. right. So I had to move, and then um, they started making me do three thousand size bags. Which Jeez. Extended. Yeah, it started extending, and that's when my peritoneal sac burst. But um, oh no. Yeah, and I did manual. So mm-hmm. so I don't even know anybody else right now doing manual. You know, mm-hmm. I know everybody else doing the cycling. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do the green bags. I do like twenty five hundreds, um, but yeah. I do four times a day. But I'm doing. I have some red. I have, well, I've done some reds, some four point two fives too, because um, I had a little bit of swelling. But that's gone down. So I don't know. I mean, okay. well, I'm I'm meeting with my nephrologist this Thursday actually to kind of get some conversation started about uh, what that what you know some options. Did they say anything to you about um, like? Did you get COVID, which one might have had some no. challenges with the new kidney and they're like, okay, no, okay. yeah, no, no COVID, yeah, got lucky. Well, what's your native? Uh, just uh, so it's not you don't have a disease, you just had that one kidney and that was the. So I was born. Right, I was born with the one kidney. They think so. Yeah, I meant I meant I missed this part. Sorry. I uh, so when I had my transplanted kidney, interestingly enough, probably eight or nine years into my transplanted kidney. I had an acute rejection episode of the of a Phelan, and um, they did a ultrasound, a biopsy, and they diagnosed it with uh, IgA nephropathy. That they had IgA, and um, that's a com- is one of the com- more common ones out yep. there now for um, for kidney disease. So they don't they can't confirm that my native kidney had the, the initial kidney I had, the one kidney, 
had IGA in it, but the but the transplant kidney, they were able to find through the through the slides and stuff that I had IGA. So I guess that's I you know IGA is what kind of caused it to fail, but you're not a hundred percent sure. What happens with IGA is IGA is a slow process mm-hmm. where it can come back and attack the, uh, the the transplanted kidney, and that's what happened to my first one. And so it it's a slow process, and if you have a acute rejection, I had acute rejection earlier, mm-hmm. and it it made my levels just automatically go up to my normalized level was a little bit higher. Yeah. And when that happens, yeah, when that happens, that lets you know right there that your kidney function is not like it was. Right. And so. It, and and that's what could have happened and things like that. Phil, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was I was No, no, you good. I, I was uh I was just gonna ask one of y'all to explain what IJ nephropathy is. I I had never heard of it until uh we started talking to Brandy. Well, why not? So it, I'm like I'm to this day I'm still sitting there looking like I heard I hear the word a lot, so I know it's not something that just popped up out the blue. You know, it's something that that's pretty consistent in you know uh, nephrology world and and things like that. So I know it's not something that's like one person got and now they're trying to make it some big thing. So mm-hmm. uh, one of you guys can kind of explain to that, you know, the, the what that is, how it starts, you know, uh, the extents of it, things like that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, I, I can go ahead and do it. Um, so basically, how I understand it, and if you correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, um, we create antibodies in our body to fight off infection and for whatever reason IGA antibodies um, in a way basically are cr- your body creates or misshapens ones that are like more curve shaped and they just they overtake particular parts of the body specifically the kidney and their filters and they just attack that um, and it's something that like can lay dormant sometimes you could have IGA for your whole life and not have any kidney issues at all or any health issues but Sometimes some, something can flare it up, and it can cause you know your kidneys to, to kind of go to go whack. And there's other lupus. There's I know there's um people have had lupus with it. Um, I don't know if some other stuff. If you can add more to fear, let me know what you know. Yeah, but that's how I understand it. Sometimes a fever can react it, where you can lay dormant in your body for a long period of time, and you can have strep. Any type of strep can activate it, and things like that. That's so. What he's saying is the high antibodies. So my first transplant, I created these high antibodies. That's why they thought I was going to never get a second transplant because my antibodies were so high for what he's talking about. And that's why I had to do so much plasmapheresis. So did they ever say anything to you about plasmapheresis on this next kidney? They, so it's interesting. During my transplant, when I had my when, when they were trying to save my transplant, they were giving me um, IVIG. Which is okay, kind of yeah. enough, which mm-hmm. is very similar to plasmapheresis, yep. um, from what I understand. I did like four rounds of that in the hospital, probably last. I want to say like it was in 2020, and I remember mm-hmm. like being in the hospital and getting like again like four or five bags of that stuff, and right. it helped bring it down, but it wasn't perfect. Uh, I did yeah. obviously, didn't, you know, yeah. Right. So sometimes what he's saying is that I, the, those, those treatments right there can bring your antibodies down. But as soon as you stop, what happens? The body rebounds back, and that's what happened to him. And that mm-hmm. that that can be a a critical area. But sometimes it happens, and you take these treatments, and it can suppress them, and yeah. then you can keep on going. And that's their hopes, and that's what they're of trying course. to do. Right, that. right, yeah. So it's funny you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Did we answer your question, Philip? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Okay. I okay. It. Yeah. So, so something I have for you, Tavero, is 
with the high PRA, because my PRA is at 100% too. Like right now, like yeah. trying to get a second mm-hmm. transplant, like is uh, every nephrologist is like, yeah, like we can try to get you um, desensitized and bring it down, but we right. can't promise you right. that those antibodies right. are not going to come right back up. So, right. like, I'm at a point where it's like, it's just this challenge. It's going to be hard. But I don't know. What did you find? How did it work for you for your second transplant? Like how, with the high PRA, were you able to get one? So with the, with, with the high PRA, what happened with me was I had to do, and, and, and National Geographic showed the documentary to me, I had to do lots of rounds of plasma phoresis. Okay. So my, day, my day would look like uh, um, three and a half hours of plasma phoresis. And plasma phoresis is painful. Is I don't it? know, a lot of people, yeah, because it's, it's pulling the plasma away from the blood. Okay. And it's, it's internally, it's painful. Is it's it? not, okay. not like... Not like dialysis. Dialysis, you can read and chill yeah. out and everything. It's, right, right. it's not like that. And so they did that, and that brought my titers down. That's another uh, answer. That's another thing what they call the antibodies, titers. They call them that also. Mm-hmm. And that brought my titers down. But eventually, my titers kept on rebounding. Mm-hmm. And what they found, man, and, and I'm truly blessed, was they found my donor, Jackie, was giving her kidney to somebody else. And... Liz, when they found Liz, Liz had a perfect match to me with my high titer. That's awesome. And I know. And that's that's really, really rare because yeah. they told me I was probably never going to get another one. So uh, an, uh, another source for you is to check out John Hopkins University okay. because yep. they, they work with a lot of people with high antibodies, high titers, and things mm-hmm. like that. And they're not shy with working with them because we got a lot of hospitals out here that won't touch somebody if your antibodies are high, because right. what happens if your antibodies are high is as soon as they put a foreign object in your body, your body yeah. automatically attacks it. Right. And probably in a week or later, a week or so, the kidney will be ruined. Mm-hmm. So a lot of hospitals don't want to do that. But you have these hospitals like John Hopkins, and that's where I had to go to get this because okay. it's kind of experimental. And yeah. sometimes, and, and now we're starting to see it more and more in different hospitals. So that might be another avenue for you all as well. Thank you. I will definitely look at that, uh, John yeah. Hopkins, because I'm definitely I'm listed. I'm currently listed right now with UK in mm-hmm. Kentucky here, but they don't they don't they don't touch it. So like the likelihood right. of me getting a kidney it seems like a far and fruit between. Like I've been a year on dialysis right now, and right. I've had two people donate or a, a test right now that have told me that they're interested, and one of them he got as far as the test tissue typing, and it just it didn't it we didn't take because of my high titers. I think right, we found right, out, yeah, you know, right, but yeah. so yeah, that's where we're at with that. But yeah, this is this is a this is what you call a um, it's a rare situation because I've seen people have two or three kidney transplants and they're fine yeah. and their titers are just normal. That's crazy. When it comes to you, yeah, when it comes to you and I, yeah, these, these kidneys they can't just put in because of these titers and mm-hmm. we know. And this is some uh, this is this is yeah, a, a, a truly a different situation. Right. When it comes to something like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go ahead, Philip. Um, so my next question uh, is to kind of get off the health talk just a little bit. Yeah, no. Um, when you had to talk with with your donor, um, mm-hmm. when she came to you and said, "Hey, you know, let, let, let's see if this, you know, see if this can work. Let's see, you know, see how this goes." Yeah. Did she give you a reason why she decided to do it? She just said she was she felt called. She you know, she back like ten years um earlier, she had tried giving a kidney to somebody else in our church 
and it just didn't work out. And so she was like, when she knew that, when she found out that I was sick with kidney disease, she's like, this, is a, this, this there's something there. <coughs> like, you came into my life at the right time. Like, I feel like I still need to test for somebody. Like, because she was going to donate to somebody else 10 years earlier. It didn't work. And so she was like, I feel like I, I called to do to give this gift. And so um, she was like, let's do this. And so she was, and she was a freaking a pulling up China shop. Like she made sure she talked to the, the transplant team was like on it every step. Like we did it in like two months, man. She was quick. Oh, like did. she was able to get all of her lab stuff in. Right. We started the process like maybe February or March of eight of 2008. I got the kitty in June. So like I mean it was relatively quick. I mean all things considered, like from when she started the, her testing to to the operating day, nuts how fast she did it. But so to answer your question, yeah, she told me because she just thought she had a calling. She had tried doing it before with somebody else, it didn't work out, and then you know is now able to was able to do it for me, and it lasted 13 years. There's a picture of us if you look on Facebook. That's my donor Kathy. Uh, I posted on Facebook uh, of her and I. Uh, wheeling into the into the um, operating room. Yeah, so, I yeah. Did, saw that picture. That's how I found out yeah. what her name was. I put it in the description. But uh, reason why I asked that question because uh, that's an important question. Um, yeah, it is. Finding out why people, other people decide to donate. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, some people have probably gotten that same itch, that same urge. You know, like something's telling them, you know, that they should do it, and they ignore it. Right. Where they don't really understand where that's coming from, and and they need to you know kind of uh, go through with that urge of wanting to donate to somebody, uh, you know. And sometimes I understand that some people are just scared, you know. Yeah, they, right. they don't know what can happen after the fact, you know. I mean, you, anything can happen after a surgery, surgery general, sure. right? You know, and so a lot of people are scared of those things. Some people have uh, taken into uh, I guess you can call them conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. of you know uh, what you know what happens with transplants and nah, the yeah. pre-process to it. People, you know, <laughs> and, and here's the thing: I don't want to make it seem like uh, people offering their their uh, organs for money is a myth. It is not. There are people out there oh, yeah. who do do that. You know, and, and they they not necessarily caring about if they save you or not. Mm-hmm. They more or less uh, money, yeah. are caring about the money. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, those are, you know, things that you that you do need to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I can say is uh, a lot of these like Facebook uh, groups and things like that that mm-hmm. advocate for um, people looking for living donors and things like that. Like they immediately put. You know, in their rules, like you know, we don't accept that. You know, stuff like that. So it's, right. It, it's kind of getting. It's not a hundred percent away from the transplant community, because uh, some people are just desperate and they like, well, this is the way I can do it. And, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm do it. But, um, you know, definitely, if if you get that urge, you get that feeling, you know, especially if it's somebody you love. If it's somebody you love. I mean, there's nothing really to think about at that time. <laughs> Right, yeah. you know, it's like you know, just just do it. You know, if it was the opposite way for me, and it was my brother and my sister, and did it, I would have did it. You know, mm-hmm. immediately with no problem. Kind of similar to to uh, Lily, we just had uh, on our show not too long ago that 
uh, donated, you know, sixty percent of her liver to someone. Nice. And originally, she wanted to donate it to her dad. Okay, um, but was not able to. But she still ended up going through with it mm-hmm. and being an anonymous donor and donating six percent of her liver. And so she's doing great. Uh, talked to her pretty frequently, actually. Um, mm-hmm. She uh, just started her new position that she was talking to me Jafar about on the thirtieth. Uh, you know, she says she loves it. Everything's going well, and she she'll be popping up soon again. Uh, good, we've, good. we've been talking and and some things I brought up to Jafar and stuff. So, but um, you know, to to people who who kind of have that thought and, and don't know how to go about it, or you know, mm-hmm. they just feel like all oh, I want to donate to someone. I'm not telling you to go out there and just find anyone. Of course, right? You know, um. But if you if you know somebody in your community, someone that's you know maybe even out of your community that's doing you know well doing good things, uh, helping community, uh, you know things of that nature, you know find find those people uh, who are trying to you know if nothing else trying to make a difference in the world at least just trying to do something in general with their life whether in school, you know uh, teacher fireman you know anything like that. Um, I'm not telling you just walk up to some random person like, hey, man, you kidding? You know, right. um, especially when you don't know anything about this, no type of documentation to kind of tell you what this person is about, you know, or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, but uh, before we go any further, I'm, you know, jump into this commercial real quick and then we'll uh, let Mr. Cook throw about 10 more questions. I think because I know he's brewing. I, I can see his face. He got that stone face that I know he's thinking over there, and, and, and you know that's why like, that's why I'm deprived him from his uh, questions because I know what they can bring. So uh, we'll be right back. I'm just intrigued by. You said what now? I'm just intrigued. That's why everybody we talk to, I'm always intrigued. Oh no, I, I know, and that's why I said I you know I don't interrupt you when you ask your question. You know, because I know I know what information is gonna come for come from it. You know, we have me and Cook have two different thinking processes. You know, so mine is more of I think uh uh not necessarily feelings, but that side of like support. You know, the donors, things like that. And, and I mean, I care about all areas of it. Of course. But, you know, uh, Mr. Cook over here with uh. Kenny Care Coaches is more on the educational side, so he wants to hear, you know, like you're talking about the plasma phoresis and, and, you know, what you did on, you know, dialysis the first time, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, but it's why it makes it work because it's like I'm doing one half and he deals with the other. So at the end of the day, you're a good team. Yeah, you're a good team. Mm-hmm, exactly. information. So, you know, I'm definitely not complaining whatsoever. Ask, if you want to ask 150 questions, I'm okay. I'm just chilling. So, you know, we'll be right back. Appreciate you both. No problem.
That was pretty solid. Welcome back to a second chance. And we're talking with Mr. Alex Burrell Jr. Got my man, Mr. Cook, on. And uh, we're going to jump back into these questions. So, Mr. Cook, and your business, sir. <laughs> yeah, Alex, I was going to ask you, um, did, was the training pretty hard when you went through your PD training on manual? It was. It took a little while. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, I did it for about a month to six weeks. And each session was like the, the first couple of weeks was like maybe like three or four hours. And then it was like two sessions like per week for six weeks. And it was like and each session lasted maybe two or three hours. And it was I mean, I felt like they could have done a little bit better training. I think it's probably one thing I think I think they were they were understaffed. And so I think there was a struggle there with not being able to really give me the time to feel comfortable with it. Um it, it, I mean, you know, so I, I've been, I'm, a, I'm my own advocate. So like I ask for refreshers and training all the time right. just to, right. to refresh. And I mean, I'm, I talk to my nurse, um, you know, as much as I can, you know, and mm. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely know it's important for me to, to keep the dialysis going and, and know what I need to do. But sometimes like, like the aseptic technique, sometimes it's something that I would get kind of like lax with. And like, I learned, I'm like, no, I got to keep this clean. I want to get paired. I do not want to get peritonitis. So, right. you know. Right, um right. so yeah man um so th like, like i said I, everybody we've talked to and everybody recently i didn't i didn't even know anybody who did manual mr kidney <laughs> had interviewed me and i told him i did manual and he was like what? i would never do it i'm so scared and i was like and i never i never had the fear of doing it because you know i just i just stayed in the and i did it for six and a half years man. i did get yeah i did get peritonitis uh three times Okay. And one time, yeah, one time it wasn't my fault, but mm -hmm. that's a whole another story. But, sure, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, I did get paired tonight is uh, three times, but uh, other than that, man, I had good success. But the only thing about it, and this is what we hear about people doing the, um, even on the cycler, sometimes when it gets uh, you know later on in years, because when mm -hmm. I started to get to about six year mark, five and a half, I wasn't getting the the results anymore. I wasn't getting the clearance, and my body started internally, you know taking in the dextrose and yeah, right. started ab absorbing it. And yep. I was like wondering like, and so we do hear that at times when people have to do it for a long period of time. Right. And we, we, we hear about that sometimes, but um, let me ask you this, since, you know, the, the good thing is you still make urine. How's yep. your nutrition and do you have any restrictions on fluid? No restrictions on fluid yet. <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, I, I've had a little bit of swelling here and there. Uh, some fluid retention in my ankles and stuff, but mm -hmm. for the most part, nothing like my nutrition is something definitely could be better. Like I think some of it is self self inflicted. Like I probably could not eat, you know, not it's important not to have like I love cheese and like I know cheese is high <laughs> in phosphorus, right? Like and so putting it on like pizza or putting it on like you know yeah, whatever, yeah. like I did, it's it's yeah. guilt, it's my guilty pleasure, and so I got to be really mindful of that. Um, and that that's just an example of like my nutrition. Like I, I, I'm, I definitely know that, you know, I need to be more disciplined, you know, that, that's as to be honest with you, like to be better disciplined with it. Um, but I'm, I'm improving, you know, I'm taking steps in the right direction and go from there. Um, something I wanted to add to you to let you know about. So my period tonight is I had a bout of it, um, back in February of 2020 of pair right before my 41st birthday. And I found out, when they gave me the antibiotics to help fix the peritonitis, I had an allergy to mm. vancomycin. 
And Jacob I have Myerson, I know it. And yeah. so Venkamayasin, I found out that like basically just opened up my pores and like I got swollen. I my blood pressure, and I'm not a diabetic, but my sugars went off the roof. I was like I had what we call dress syndrome, which is a drug mm-hmm. reaction of um of of an antibiotic basically i can't remember the, what the dress stands for but it's like drug reaction and then the e and the ss i can't remember what it stands for but it's so i found out you know unbeknownst to me that the the vancomycin that was supposed to help me with my peritonitis in turn um caused me to have this the syndrome called dress and uh it's yeah. very rare it's not very common and they didn't know what was going on like my numbers were all wacky like i was on on uh, a boatload of like di- um, insulin because my sugars were going like 600, like it's high numbers on the insulin. And I'm not, you know, again, I'm not a diabetic, but it got right. my, because of the steroids I was put on, the steroids made that happen. And that was, that sucked. And that all came from peritonitis when they gave you yeah. vancomycin. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't yeah. know that. You don't know that. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. You yeah. know, some of these things you don't know till you know. You know? <laughs> you know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 I was on for remember, like a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had Yankomycin and I was going to taper with it, you know, but uh, yeah. I, and, and the, the last time I got peritonitis, I could definitely tell because I could just I was so keen on it that I even looked at my bag. You know, you I was knew, like, yeah, oh, course, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like precautionary. I, I took myself to the hospital because I knew what yep. was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, already, yeah. <laughs> I knew the whole yeah. routine. So yeah, I was yeah. already, you know, prepared for that. Let me ask you this, though. Are you doing any exercise, anything like that, to keep the body healthy so when you do get a transplant? I have been, yeah. I've been working on, um, I did. I just recently did the cuck, uh, a 3K um, run. And so I did that, and that was training for that. But other than that, I haven't done anything since. Um, but I need to get back yeah. on the horse um, and start doing some more exercise. I'll be honest with you, exercise is important, and walking around and, and being more active. Now, I just recently moved ish yeah, i've been in this new place now about six right. or seven weeks and so we were living in a full house with stairs and now we live in an apartment complex on a ground floor we have a dog to walk yeah. so that's helpful i mean any chance to get up right. and move and walk around and unfortunately my job is very sedentary like i'm working mm-hmm. i my old job was i was always traveling and walking i was in a car driving but once i got to places i was able to walk around and, and right. move but my job with cricket health right now i sit i'm doing what i'm doing right now i sit in front of a computer <laughs> type away and like right. i'm just sitting there for you know eight hours a day and i don't like it yeah. at all so. right right that so the reason why i say that and i tell a lot of patients to keep your body active is because if they do call for a, a transplant your body will definitely rebound a lot better when you're stronger of course, and you'll be able to, you know, have something to fight with, because a lot of times after the transplant, you know, if you don't have any, you know, some type of muscle, you might not get a, you might not get an appetite. All mm-hmm. these things that can play a big part. Mm-hmm. And like I tell people all the time, when they, you know, on dialysis and stuff, if you're not throwing up, eat. Because what happens is we start to lose our appetite, and that's when yeah. your muscles start to atrophy. Right. And that's why it's so important to keep keep your metabolism going, eating some food. Even if you don't want to eat, you still have to eat something got because it. your nutrition, you got to keep your strength up. And okay. that's, that's, that's really, really critical. And that's, that's one thing I always preach. So I'm glad you're doing, you know, the best you can I'm working on the there. exercise. Uh, yeah, uh, no, yeah, definitely. Fair, like, I think, and it's key, like, I, I love to talk with you offline about this because, like, yeah. I definitely could use some guidance and figuring out, like, you know, um, 
when I got my first transplant when I was 28, you know, after 18 months, like I was in and out of the hospital after my transplant within like four days. It was amazing. Like I, I was, cause I was young, right? I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I was already, strong. I was strong. I, you know, I was like, I was like, okay, let's do this. I'm now 41. I'm older, 13 years longer. So I, I'm already, no, I'm already sensing that my body is not rebounding fast enough, not the same right. way. So it's just something to, to consider. To know to kind of keep moving and, like I said, get exercise and if it's just walking every day, that's something just to get my my blood flowing, you know. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, definitely the uh, the exercise thing is very important. Um, you know, like he was out in four days. I think Mr. Cook was out around the same time after his uh, first transplant because you know he was pretty active and stuff like that in the weight room and stuff like that all the time playing college yeah. ball and you know even after even. After being on dialysis for a start a small amount of time, if you have to, um, your 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 muscles and stuff like that won't go away so quickly. Even that, even if you are in center and sitting yeah. there, especially if you're, you know, able to pick back up at least halfway of what you normally do exercise wise, just to keep you know your body in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got sick. You know, I mean, I got sick when I was four, but I had my transplant when I was in high school. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I consistently was in the weight room, on the track, on the field. Right. You know, for four, four straight years in, in high school. So, um, you know, I was fortunate to get my transplant six months after I started dialysis. So, nice. you know, um, and I didn't and I didn't have to do in-center hemo, which definitely helped. You know, I was able to do PD at home continuously on my same regimen football and weight room and you know things like that so see for me it took six days but that was because they didn't wait till like till day three or day four Mm. to tell me that if i don't get up and walk (laughs) you're gonna wasn't going home right and i'm like you waited four days to tell me this yeah yeah. i'm like i would would have been a walk in three days ago. Exactly. You would have exactly, told me this yeah. in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, cause I was fortunate enough to not have to deal with a lot of pain. Good. When yeah. I when I had my transplant, I had this one small area of my incision, um, and you know, normally your pain goes kind of this way, surface wise, you know, lengthwise. Mine was lengthwise up and down so from surface mm. going into my bible it was a small area mm. you know so i didn't have to deal with so much pain i was still able to do some moving when they told me that i was like hey man where's the physical therapist at yeah you know, like we need to get get, get going, going. And, right. you know the my original stand-up was a little painful because it was my you know that original kind of stand on your incision, oh, yeah, you know, I, that. Um, I think me and Mr. Cook had this conversation mm-hmm. before. You know, when you have that transplant, you're you're being sewn up, so they pull your skins together. So when you well, they sit cut up, the muscle. They yeah, cut the right. Muscle. Anytime right. they cut those core muscles, yeah, you know, to put a kidney in, those muscles are separated, and it's it's quite painful when you got to get up or any well, type of movement. Oh, yeah. You know, with a catheter in, you got mm-hmm. to pull. You got right. you know, it's, it's it's a lot. You know that. that that's a lot to do. It took but me. It took me for. It took me like, I got my kidney in June of '07. I had maybe five total weeks, six total weeks of like, like complete recovery. Like you know, at home, like I was. I started driving probably six or seven weeks later. I want to say, 
um, I remember, and, and with my first transplant. And so, yeah, no, I, but I, I was eager to get up and move around. Like I said, I got out of the hospital relatively fast. You know, like I wanted to get out and move and just like I, I, I did laps yeah. around my transplant center, you know, um, and I, on that floor, like for craziness for, for just to get out. And I hope to do the same thing the second time around. It'll happen. It just could, I, I believe you will, man, especially <laughs> both you guys. Like once it happens, like like I tell the story of uh, when I got my second transplant, man, and I was on dialysis for close to 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to walk around this park, man. And I walked around the park after my transplant so fast that I did it again. I had so much energy. Yeah. It was scary. Like, wow, what in the world? Like, like they put it. I cannot wait for that. Yeah, yeah, battery or something. Yeah, right. another battery. In me. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was ready to go, man. But uh, I cannot wait for that. Let me ask you another question. Yeah. Um, uh, how's your support system and everything? Uh, it's good, man. It's good. I have, you know, like I don't my so my family. I grew up in Connecticut, was there right. most of my life, and then I moved out to Arizona and then to Kentucky. Um, so my support system has definitely gotten is better. Um, the second time around, I'll be on my first approach when I got diagnosed with the native kidney disease and, and all that stuff, I was, you know, um, with this woman and, you know, she was helpful, but she was also a hindrance because she just wanted to kind of take the reins and my family was far away. So they couldn't really come in and help as much as they could. Um, and so it was challenging at that, the first time around, uh, I'm now, uh, in a new relationship and with the woman and her family's here locally and they've been like spot on Beautiful. phenomenal. Like it's been really Beautiful. good to have, them around and like i have a nurse practitioner who can like you know she has friends and nephrologists and then can call medicine if i need it i mean this is really really helpful um encouraging you know distant will kick my butt if i need to get up and move that kind of stuff so there, yeah, it's 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 improved mark much better than it did the first time around excuse me that's good to hear man that's wonderful mm-hmm. yep. so uh you said the, the the first time that you had got you were dealing with uh, kidney issues and stuff. Were you still? You said you were in Arizona, or were you still in Connecticut? I was in Arizona when it first started. Actually, so the the uh-huh. very very first thing I can tell you that was kind of off that I look back at this now. This whole my whole journey with kidney disease and being where I am is, I went to go give blood. I was a big proponent of wanting to offer blood blood drives all the time. So I went to a blood drive at the Red Cross in Arizona right before I moved to Kentucky. And so I was in Arizona getting ready to go talk to the nurse. And they usually, they take like, if I remember correctly, they usually take a little bit of your blood and put it into some kind of like solution. And if the blood floats to the top or sinks to the bottom, something has to happen. If the opposite happens, then you're not able to give blood because something's up with your blood. So whatever happened, between that and my blood pressure was elevated, they're like, "I'm sorry, you can't get blood." And I was like, "What?" And I had to been given blood forever. I was Ooh. like, completely like, no, I had, I was upset. I was like, "I love doing this kind of stuff. Why? What's going on?" And that was the very first sign I should have realized something was up with my kidneys, or something was wrong. Maybe not my kidneys, but right. I should have checked on it. And I held on to that for, or I didn't, I didn't realize it until like six or seven months later when I was crashing into dialysis, what I thought was food poisoning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in. Uh, I remember I, I tried to give blood because I didn't know the 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 requirements and rules and stuff yeah. like that to giving blood and times. You know, time you got to wait after having certain you know procedures and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
we ended up having a blood drive. Um, you know, like I said, I was 17 years old when I had my first transplant. So the one thing that I did that nobody in my, and honestly, a lot of people in my family didn't think I was going to do was go back to school to get my diploma, you know, finish my yeah. senior year and stuff like that. So uh, summer, I remember they, they, you know, posting stuff all over the place, you know, hey, we're doing a, you know, blood drive and this and that. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, somebody was fortunate, you know, they had to get transferred blood to me during this procedure at one point and somebody had to, you know, sit in this chair and, and do it themselves. So, um, yeah, you know, I was like, all right, you know, I'll do it. So I, um, I remember going and, you know, they asked you on the, on the paper, like if you've had, you know, any type of transplant, you know, around six months, six, I think it was like six to eight months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you can't, you can't do it. I mean, of course, you know, I, I checked yes. And just, you know, I stayed anyways. I said, yeah. well, you know, maybe my time, you know, has been, you know, further along than, <laughs> you know, for them to give me okay. You know, I was, you know, persistent like you, like, you know, yeah. and so they looked at me and she was like, so you had a transplant. I'm like, yeah. So she said, when? I said, February. And she looked at me and she was like, you could tell she was kind of conflicted because she wanted to. Yeah. I think yeah. she even, she understood kind of where I was coming from. Right. But she and, but then at the same time, you know, and, and this is why I'm not upset about the situation. At the end of the day, no matter how my feelings are, it's her job. Yeah, exactly. You know, so she still has to, uh, Take on those repercussions at the you know at the end of the day. But if you had a blood transfusion, can you still give blood? Because I've had so many blood transfusions, I wouldn't even think about it. You know, I had had so many. Yeah, uh, and I've given blood blood? before. Mm -hmm. I did too. Yeah, yeah, I've given blood before. Even after you know, like I said, I've been going through this stuff for the past twenty eight years. So you know, I've given blood. You know, plenty. You know, plenty of times. If that if that was an issue. They would have caught that, you know, years ago. You know, I right. had procedures and tubes placed and all kinds of things at four years old. So they, you know, all that stuff definitely would have been caught if it was the issue. Now, exactly. if I need, if I can, at this point in time, maybe a different question. Right. You know, because everything else that's happened, you know, with the rejection and and you know, meds. I've had the IVIG as well, and mm-hmm. you know, all that type of stuff. So. Um, but my my question, I, w- I want to come back to the uh, uh, IGF nephropathy. Yeah. Because uh, you mentioned, uh, Mr. Ku, that strep can can bring this on. Is this um, is this something that like is IGF nephropathy something that gets? Let me see. How can I how can I form this the right way? Something that is. I guess you could say noticed at an early age or more of a later age. Are you asking me or are you asking? Uh, uh, yeah, you, you. Um, I think, you know, what happens is, is they don't know these things until they know. These are the situations where, um, you know, no one's going to check you for these things until they come up. So they don't know offhand, you know, they, so, true. so sometimes just like Alex said, he didn't know he had one kidney. Well, they're not checking for that. They're checking for his lungs, his heart development, all these other developments. And some of these things they don't know, you know, just like <clears throat> I had a fever 
in my senior year, and I couldn't even play a couple games of high school basketball because of the fever. And then the following year, you know, I get glomerulonephritis and stuff like that. The point I'm making is this. They, they don't know these things until they know. You know, so they, they don't have a magic crystal ball. But once they do know what, you know, about them, that's when they try to, you know, be proactive and take care of these things. So that's, that's the best way I can say, you know, as far as, you know, what can happen. I just know that with these situations, uh, inflammation flare up, which could be like strep, anything of these sorts of anything like that can create these things, can wake up these things that might lay dormant in somebody's body. And that's what can happen. I do know those things for sure. So the reason why I asked that is because, you know, post-strep is my reasoning for uh, kidney failure. And so if that's something that, you know, is one of those things where it's like, like you said, not known till it's known, you know, it's like, oh, it pops up. Okay, no, now we'll see it in some blood work, you know, Mm -hmm. which I understand. Sometimes, you know, not all tests are perfect. You know, they they may only work after, you know, after the situation after the situation, you know, which is pretty much, I guess, any test because it's not like we can predict it before it happens, <laughs> excuse me. But, um, you know, definitely something I think I should, I will talk to my nephrologist about. I mean, I'm pretty sure at this point in almost 32, they probably would have seen it by now with all the tests that, that I've well, had, so. Strep flare-ups have created people to have kidney failure. Let me just say that, you know, it's been known um, some people have gotten strep and, and are perfectly fine. Who knows these variables? Uh, only thing I can tell you is when these variables do happen and you do get to the hospital, who knows what they're going to tell you? Just like Alex said, I, mean, I went to the hospital and they said this, they said mm-hmm. that. I know we've all been to the hospital several times and been blown away with the diagnosis. You know, like, wow, that, you know, so, you know, they don't know these things until they know. And again, they don't have a crystal ball. They can just Whatever these labs show them, that's what they're working with. So, right. I, I guess yeah. that's to sum it up. Yeah, I didn't find out that I was sick until, you know, it, I mean, at this point, it, for the most part, it was too late. But, you know, I was a kid. You know, my mom came pick me up from school, you know, because I, I um, started school. I did early start when I was younger. So, you know, I was I was at, at school at age of four. And uh, she was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to pick you up. And you were so swollen, I didn't notice it was you. Wow. And I'm like, well, that's not good because I've been swollen before. And I've even recognized myself. So if you couldn't recognize me and you're my mother, right. you know, yeah. we got an issue. You thought I was another kid just coming to you like any of the other kids. <laughs> Going right. to everybody, mom, like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not a good situation right there. Uh, no, it's not. Right. I'm uh-huh. in trouble. But, uh, you know, her and my dad made the, you know, uh, executive decisions, the right decisions to to take me to go get checked out, you know, when it's happened as opposed to. And, and you know what? I, I, I say this before I, I make my statement. There's nothing wrong with health remedies and, and things of that nature. You're going to go find other ways. Uh, to get over certain uh, ailments and illnesses and things like that, whether it's you, your kids, I mean that's your right. You know that's that's your God-given right. You know to of living in this country to figure out how you want to deal with your own health. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just think at that moment, 
and the situation at hand would not have been a good time for those those ways of taking care of health. Um, at those times, you kind of need, uh, you know, there's nothing with after the fact, especially when you know what's wrong, but not well, knowing I, what's I, wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think I think people, you know, when you first hear diagnosis, you know, when I first went to the hospital, I, mean, I went to a doctor, and the doctor told me I had the flu. And, you know, what was crazy was, um, I mean, even before, this is after I got diagnosed with the thing and everything. I'm talking about another time. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know, you know, I was, my kidneys were shutting down at the moment and I was backing up with fluid. So, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> again, man, you know, and so you come home, your mom's going to treat you just for the flu. She's going to be like, okay, go lay down, you know, drink this seven up if your right. stomach's hurting. Cause that's what, that's her, her lift of her knowledge. And that right. could be the ones around mm-hmm. you, you know, their, their knowledge is only so much. That's why, you know, it's so important to get these checkups and go to the hospital and build these reports with these doctors and stuff like that because they can look deeper and see what's really going on with you and everything. So let right. me ask you something, Alex. Um, with, with this, yeah. And I know you have I know you have kids. Is there any way that your mm-hmm. kids can get checked out and stuff like that with, with the same disease you, you have and everything? You know, I haven't really – I have two kiddos, and I haven't really – um, look, I mean, I guess I could do that, and I probably will moving forward, thinking about it, seeing if if there's any um, like just gen- genetic. I th- I want to say that with my son, um, it, we pretty fi- much found out he didn't have any kidney issues, which was good um, when he was first born. So I, I don't think it's anything. And same with my daughter, I don't think um, she has any kidney issues. I think she just has more like allergy issues and stuff like that but yes to answer your question i think that i could probably because uh, as you get older sometimes you acquire things too so sometimes it could be something that they could get so i, I may right. still consider it um down the road as well yeah yeah that's good to think about yeah definitely yeah i mean because like like when when my parents found out about me and everything you know they did a they did a full deep, deep dive into that yeah real dive on my, my sisters and brothers and everything and didn't and found out nothing. It was like, wow. Hey, yeah. you're the, you're that lucky kid with this, you know? <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. you know, these things, these things jump generations and sure. all types of stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, these things do happen. So, that, mm-hmm. you know, even with my daughter, she's 10 right now. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I talked to my, my wife's a nurse practitioner. We talked about, you know, having her looked at and, yeah. and seeing, but right now she's fine. She's just a little ten year old running around crazy. That's but, my ten year old. Yeah, my ten year old daughter. Same yeah. thing. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but still, you never know what can happen later on and stuff like of course. that. But, of course. You know. Cool. So uh, I want to touch on something you brought up. Um, so far as is the report with your doc, with your nephrologist or doctors in general, um, you know that's very important you know, to, to have that relationship with them because what that does is when you're the type of, of person like, you know, that, that's proactive like myself, like Mr. Cook, like Alex, they see that and they notice it very quickly, which gives them that push and that urge to make sure that they put you in the right position to get a kidney, get a liver, you know, yeah. get a, you know be on the list things of that nature and to continue to fight with you and for you, you know, to, to get, to put you in those, in those areas. And the reason why 
I know that personally is that, you know, I, I was, uh, went back, you know, had my rejection in 2010, um, you know, immediately was basically put on the list, you know, was on the list for about four or five years. And then they had to take me off because of an issue that I had, uh, with my hospital, which was their fault. You know, I'm not going to get all, get all into that. Um, but my doctor knew immediately that, you know, when I said it was not me, it wasn't me and that I was going to continue to keep fighting and doing you know what i was doing so he's been there I, i've been with this doctor for the past 13 years because as soon as i basically got out of transplant i made the uh the move to uh to the to adult side mm -hmm. so you know they called me and they're like hey you know we you have the option um of staying to your 21 mm -hmm. or you know, making a transition now that you're 18. And I was like, bye. You know, I got out of there quick. You know, yeah. at the time, uh, if I'd have stayed there, who knows if I'd have been in that same position because right. the nephrologist that I had at the time, Peter, the nephrologist, we didn't have the best relationship. You know, uh, I, I won't say any name, not the type of person, but, yeah. um, you know, it just wasn't, it didn't click. You know, she. I mean, in, in my personal opinion, opinion dealing with kids. I mean, Miss Cook, you have kids, Alex. Yeah. Um, I don't think a, a pediatric nephrologist needs to be yelling at kid patients. Yeah. You know, I mean, first off, kids don't listen when their parents yell. No, what makes you think that mm -hmm. they're going to listen to you when you yell? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and so I'm like sitting there, I honestly. I didn't listen to nothing she ever told me mm -hmm. because I'm like, you came in the room yelling. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no work up to the year. I can understand we talking, you know, I hear my answers or, you know, liking my answers or anything like that. And, you know, your frustration is like, man, oh, he ain't getting it. You know, I can understand that. I probably will pick up on that. But when you come in the room and, and my name comes out your mouth and you yelling up to here, I, you know, immediately I, I've cut you off already. Yep. You know, and so as soon as they made, as soon as they called me with that, I was like, bye. But it was yeah. probably the best decision outside of the fact that I just wanted to get away from that specific sure. uh, nephrologist. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it was the best decision for me because it led me to my current nephrologist now. You know, like I said, and that guy, he, he's been by, by my side from day one. You know, yeah. um, he yelled at me even as an adult one time yeah um, but it was a it was one of those times where i needed to be able to yeah you know and i think we all had that time you know we get a little bit relaxed we think exactly well it's not and then you know he just kind of he looked at me and then it was like a firework went off and i was like it was crazy that even my dad noticed he was like <laughs> you ain't never got yelled out like that before like you've been with this dude for the longest he's never <laughs> talked to you like that and i'm like mm -hmm. and that's what made me think like maybe i am doing something wrong mm -hmm. but because it was that love that he cared enough to yell at me when he never does mm -hmm. you know it made my thought process like go like you know maybe i'm doing something that i shouldn't be doing or i need sure. to tell you something or whatever and it was actually a turning point for me in my life you know because i had that relationship with him 
and he was able to make that decision like you know he needs to be told this you know but in a, in a firm way mm-hmm. and from that point is kind of where everything started changing for me because like i said i was dealing with the you know P- high pth phosphorus potassium stuff and and uh you know like i said i, I have my reasons for delaying the pth you know sort of the the parathyroid removal but um you know he kept being persistent you know because mm-hmm. normally when people you know say like no nah, i'm not doing this kind of doctors just go okay well you ain't gonna do it you know and don't really yeah. bring it up until it gets to that point where it's like okay no you need to do this you know right but he was persistent it was like same levels for a while he was still like no nah, you need to do this and i'm like yeah now nah, we'll wait you know i'm like nah, i'm cool i you know, got to go do this concert in a couple months. Can't be sitting there, sitting at home, resting my throat and stuff. And, uh, yeah. And uh, so, but him pushing that, and it, and it got me, like I said, I got to the point where I was just like, you know, let's do it. And, of mm-hmm. course, he probably knew it would, you know, regulate my phosphorus and my potassium. But right. I'm like, why would you not tell me that? <laughs> I will throw everything that I have going on in my life right now away. If yeah. that means getting me back to these right levels to put me, you know, get yeah. me on this list. Right. That was the main thing keeping me off was I was dealing with those levels, my PTH, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, things like that. And I'm like, if all I got to worry about is calcium after this, I'm like, yeah, yeah man, y'all can cut 18 times and I wouldn't care. <laughs> right. Like, you know, let's go. Let's, let's get this done. But mm-hmm. like I, I said, man, the, the, like Ms. Cook said, the, the rapport with your nephrologist will cause them to be persistent mm-hmm. with the information that they tell you and pushing you, you know, into doing the right thing. It's not something like they just like, I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. Mm-hmm. But nine times out of 10, and, and I mean nine times out of 10, it's not 100%. Dodgers aren't perfect just like we aren't. Of course, right. You know? and, and that's why people are allowed that second opinion, you know, to, to get other opinions from other doctors and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, have a great relationship with your nephrologist, your cardiologist, yeah. you know, your liver doctors and things like that, because it's what's going to be the separating factor between you getting a transplant and, and not even being on the list. Right. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, even when they make that referral for you to have evaluation, they still somewhat have to vouch for you. Yep. That you you know you take your meds you're compliant you exactly. Go to yeah. your right. You're you're complying. You're you're doing your uh your blood work all the time. You're not missing appointments. And if you know being on um on per, you know peritoneal dialysis, you know you got to turn bring in your records. And, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. That might be because my my facility, but no, um, my facility too. Yeah. Right. You got to you know write down what your uh UF is and your initial drain and. You know uh your yeah. blood pressure your weight and stuff exactly. like that yeah so you know it, it's all that stuff comes into an account and you know um it, it was uh recently before i made that complete change uh, kind of i have an issue with me because you know when i was in that in between part of not i won't say necessarily caring and not caring but like when they took me off the list mm-hmm. i was just like oh okay well you know, doing enough to get by just about, you know, since mm-hmm. off, you know, and like I said, but that's when my doctor comes in pushing me. And it was uh 
that that in between moment where I was having those issues and you know I was like I don't really care about these records so much and you know I mean of course I was gonna do my blood work and yeah. you know stuff like that that you know my made to my appointments or whatever but I'm like but then it's never like you know that they have access to these records and stuff right so if you don't bring a man that looks like nine clients and I'm like then that's when the light bulb went off for me. Mm-hmm. Start making sure I'm records. Huh? Yeah. I, I was gonna say, Alex. Uh, so, um, how many lists are you on now? Though? Right now, just the one. I'm working with. Uh, I'm I'm listed with the University of Kentucky, and I'm working with uh, University of Cincinnati. Um, okay. They're evaluating me right now, but my phosphorus levels are high, and um, they just want to make sure I can get that under control. They like under eight and you know, it's at 13. Yeah. So who knows when that's right. going to get, when I'll get with them. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I'm actively looking at, um, I- I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to look at other places. We'll see. I mean, like I said, I live in an area where I could probably, if I w- chose to get listed, I could go to Vanderbilt in Tennessee. Yeah. I could go up to, yeah. I could go to you guys in Ohio at Columbia. Mm-hmm. I could I'd go to Ohio state if I wanted to, that's just about three hours or so from Louisville. Yeah, that's three hours. So right. you know, so like it's about that that window. I mean, I but it's just figuring out like all the testing and, and the time and you know got a family and working right. and having to do all that. So right. I don't know. I got to figure. I'm trying. I'm still trying to reevaluate where else I'm going to test or where else I'm going to kind of look to get listed. Right. Okay. I don't have any more questions, Phil. So all you. Okay. I'm actually glad you asked that question about. Uh, how many hospitals that he, he's tested this was crazy. A lot of people don't know that you could be tested at more than one. Right. And some, you know, some very important information people to, to, to know. Um, I didn't even know until my second time. Go ahead. I was going to say, but, but like, like Alex said, it does take work. You know, it takes time. It takes, you know, it, it takes resources to get to these places and mm-hmm. get your lab work done there and all these things too. So, Yes, it, it, you can get listed other places, but it does take resources. I'm just going to say that. And it's going to take mm-hmm. some effort because, because, you know, that's the things that can happen. Like I know some people at Ohio right now are on the list at, at Illinois, University of Illinois. So mm-hmm. these yeah. things, you know, people are getting them everywhere. I'm from Ohio, and I have mine at John Hopkins University. Right. And there's there's also places where... There's also, and we might have to put this, you know, in, into the comments because I don't know them offhand, but there's places that will do fundraisers for you also that can match dollars if you have to stay out of town or if the family has to come with you out of town. These things, they do have these things for uh, availability. We just have to, we, we, we have to put that link up there one day, Philip. Yeah, so definitely. Um, and, and just some that, that Ms. Cook are referring to, um Ava Hearts, I believe, uh, which is out here in California, they help certain uh like people waiting on uh you know heart transplants and stuff like that that need, you know, somewhere to stay. They may not necessarily stay close to that hospital and things of that nature that they'll be that they are uh around. Um, as well as uh Coda. Coda helps pediatric transplant patients. Um, in those areas, once you get, you know, once you get in Coda, you're always a part of Coda. They help you uh, some kind of way, which is, you know, a lot. And so the main thing that that is referred to as resources, for the most part, in, in the situation at least 
that we're currently talking about when it comes to multiple um, listings and things of that nature is money. Um, you know, especially if it's not another hospital that's close to you. If it's something that's close to you, it's not as bad. So UCLA is not the closest uh, in regards to the word close for me. Um, it's about, for me, depending on, depending on traffic. No traffic is about 45 minutes. With traffic is like, you know, get from, you know, hour, hour and a half. Uh, I mean, before a transplant, 45 minutes isn't bad at all. Man. We're talking right. About no, no, definitely. You know, Correct. From a different state. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, but for some, some people, depending on what kind of car they may have, you know, they may be um, 16, 17 year old and, and their grandparents gave them their car. You know, and, and they got to worry about getting, you know, X, Y, Z place. But that's where support comes in. You know, being able to call somebody like, hey, I got the call. And you just come get me, take me to the hospital, no matter, you know, where it is. Or if you get a, you know, they need to airlift you somewhere to get there because the air, even the airplane ain't going to get there in enough time. But um, money is is a key thing in that. Um, you know, I, I had the, the thought of, also, you know, because you know, I, I just told uh, Mr. Cook and, and a small number of other people that um, my doctor is now in the process of putting me back on the list um, because, like I said, you know, once I made that change of being consistent with a lot of things and stuff like that, with him being in my corner and me having that relationship with him, he was like, you know, it's, it's time. You know, I went to him, I asked him, and he said yes. So. Um, I, I, you know, at, at the current time, the only thing, you know, for at least um, close to me is Cedar Sinai. Um, I'm thinking about Utah area, um, you know, things of that nature, certain areas that where I know I have people. And it's not necessarily just, you know, hey, can I stage a place when I get, if I get this transplant, if I get on this, like, it's not even that. It's just more or less to have that support. If I need somebody to, you know, drive up past the hotel or wherever I go, you know, wherever I'm staying, like, hey, you straight, you know, or, hey, you need a ride to an appointment, you know, things like that. Like, you know, it's, it's not to get over nobody or just to use them, nothing like that. But, you know, uh, one thing that we've all said, I think, a number of times, whether it's this interview or before, is that support is very important. It's the reason why they ask you this question uh, during your evaluation, do you have the support to help you maintain this kidney? Yep. Because those, you know, we uh, we all know we've all had a transplant. Those first two, three, four months are very important in that journey because you know those, that first month, you know, you you in in the appointment two, three times a week for almost the first month of uh, after having that transplant, you know. You got appointments, you know, if you got a kidney, you got to get, you know, stent removed or even liver patients. We found out talking to Albert, you know, if you haven't, uh, if you end up having issues after transplant with your kidneys that, that go into with your liver, you got to have a stent in there and things of that nature. So, you know, there's those after appointments as well outside of just going to go see your nephrologist, you know, to make sure that your kidney is working and stuff like that, that you have to deal with. And that, you know, what kind of makes it for some people a little bit you know, uh, hard because it's like, okay, I got an appointment on Monday and I got one on Tuesday and then I got one on Wednesday. All right, cool. Now on Thursday, I got one on Friday, you know, and, and, but it's, it's needed, you know, over time, 
you know, like Mr. Cook said, even when he did it, they didn't have, you know, peritoneal uh, cycles at the time. Right. You know, so he had to do, you know, manual. So the evolution of the transplant world, the community has evolved a lot over the years. And so, you know, we need to take into a fact that there's a reason why it's evolved the way it's evolved. It's needed and it's important. Yep. And so, um, you know, it, it's if you can find, you know, if you if you go the way of, you know, uh, listing in, in another area, if it's not too close to you, definitely think about, you know, if you have loved ones in those areas, you know, things of that nature. Most of us have at least one person that's in our family that lives in, in probably a different state, if not a, a different area of a state that's near a transplant. So, you know, definitely take that into a family. I got a, a lot of people that live in, in Texas, Arkansas, you know, down south areas like that. You know, I know if I 100% needed to to go to, to Georgia, go to Florida, you know, I, I, you know, if nothing else, I got the support of Mr. Cook. I don't necessarily like, hey, man, uh, have my transplant in Florida. I, I need one of them rooms in your mansion over there. You know, like, I, you know, I, if I call him like, hey, man, I just need your support. I got that. You know, I would never call somebody just out of the blue like, hey, hey man. But if it's a kidney or whatever like that, I'm stopping what I'm doing to help anybody with that kind of maneuver. I'm going to keep it real with you, man. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You know, I had to go to John Hopkins from Ohio. And so, I, I you know, I had a, I, I was fortunate to have a great support team and really fortunate for, for them to do a fundraiser for me, you know, because if it wasn't for the fundraiser, who knows, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. I was truly blessed with that situation. But with that being said, probably in Alex's situation with uh, the second transplant, the high titers, you're going to have to go somewhere who, who those hospitals that are familiar with that situation. Right, exactly. And Cincinnati is one of them, so and that's the, right. the closest one to me, so I could look at them. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, there's some things that I'm going to be doing. And Ohio State is Ohio State is familiar with them also now. Good so, to know. Okay. Yeah, they're 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 up on their game with that. And uh, like I said, a lot of these um, hospitals that are teaching hospitals, uh, you know, University of Cincinnati is definitely a teaching hospital. So is Ohio State. Right. You know, these are teaching hospitals, and they 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 do things like that too. So yep. Yeah. Good. Well, I think that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not gotta get a lot of those. Uh, I hate that sitting here on this machine. So. Yeah, and, but Whoa. I don't get in my leg. I get them in the weirdest place. Nobody for some reason has ever heard it. If I get mine in my foot for some odd reason, like I'll be sitting here and all of a sudden my foot will just go. Whoop. I'm like, oh, and it's not the easiest <laughs> place. To stretch a cramp out of because yeah, right. your foot can only move so much. Yeah. You know, and that's how you get a you know a cramp or charger like that out. Like if you're using your leg, you can stretch your leg, you know, a good amount of ways to get that out. Can't do that in your foot. <laughs> I get my I get mine in my hands. So like I'll be all of a sudden like I'll be working and all of a sudden like this finger will go like will go in a different direction and it's like it just looks really and it hurts and you're just trying to yeah. get out that 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 oh it's the worst. Yeah. That's definitely, the worst. definitely. Well, uh, Alex, yeah. uh, my last question for you, sir. If Miss Cook has no more, I'm done. Um, 
what would you like people that are watching us now or in the future uh, to take uh, from your interview today? Um, first, just to say thank you, you know, for taking the time to listen and hear our conversation about uh, the importance of um, transplant, the importance of understanding uh, kidney disease, and, and knowing you know what we can do to help you know help you get the answers that you need. You know, we're here to help you answer the questions and, and give you the support um, that we've been talking about. And I think it's important to, uh, to just continue to do that and to continue to have these conversations um, because you just never know who, who you're going to be able to um, affect with what the words we say and what, what we bring to the table. So um, I just say thank you very much for giving me this platform to have my conversation. Um, always here you know feel free to look me up on facebook um on any of the social media platforms twitter um if i can if you're in the kentucky area and have questions about um uk's transplant process i still i don't work there anymore but i know the process um i can kind of work you help you with that um and as a patient who's on dialysis you know if we have any questions you know you're in the area you just want to kind of do a zoom call or have a conversation with me you know, I'm, I'm available to talk, um, here to, here to help. Uh, and I really appreciate you guys giving me the, you know, this, 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 uh, this time it's been good. Yeah. I just want to say something about Alex. He's a great resource. This man is, uh, he's living what he's talking about right now. Um, and, uh, we've about, we bounce uh, information off one another off screen and everything. So he definitely is willing to help anybody that needs is in need for a kidney transplant and, his expertise is uh, by far really, really valuable. So thank you, Alex, man. We appreciate you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Alex, thank you, my man. I we, We've had this kind of in the works, you know, a while <laughs> back. And, and I, I think at the time, Alex was, was in the process of moving and, and yeah. nature. We're going to have him on. We did the interview. I mean, the uh, uh, collaboration with Jonathan Trailer, but uh, you know, Alex, was, you know, had his family was moving to where he is now. So, um, but, you know, tell the people, you know, give the people your, your social media information and stuff like that. And, sure. um, you know, the information uh, that they would need if they if they want to test uh, for you as well. And then send that to me and we can put it in the description as well. Sure. Uh, so people can go back in and get that information. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah. So my... Um Social media handle is my name, Alex Barrios, on Facebook. Um, I'm Barrios A1234 on Twitter. Um, and that's all I have right now for my social media. But I um, am connected, obviously, with Why Not. And uh, I will be sending over a link to Philip and to, to Firo with my website. I don't, I can't give it to you off the top of my head right now. But uh, that has, a, has my story and has a link to the University of Kentucky's transplant program. You could go to um, UKY that edu um and then backslash transplant and look at some information about you know possible testing if you're interested there is an online questionnaire to fill out uh, and we can go from there so that's a start and then we'll you know i'll we'll send some more later awesome 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 i uh, appreciate your time alex yeah no problem as always um miss cook had, um well miss cook probably does too but Alex has family things he got to go take care of was why we got on earlier. You know, I, I don't, you know, uh, mind adjusting time when it comes to things like family and, and stuff like that. So um, definitely glad we were able to make this work. 
you know, for both of you. Um, Ms. Cook, I know you got to run. Uh, you, you got a little bit of time to chill. But, um, again, both of you, thank you. I appreciate you. Um, next week, we'll have these uh, Aaron's, uh, also known as AJ, that is a stage three colon cancer survivor, uh, coming on with us next week, next Sunday, to tell his story. Um, we might make a change, possibly. I don't really like telling you, but I like to, you know, keep people informed as well. Um, his wife is expecting a baby and she's, I believe, at not at month nine at the time. So, uh, you know, possibly can happen, you know, today, tomorrow, you know, next Sunday at exactly five o'clock on the dot. But, you know, um, I told him, you know, take care of your family. That's no problem. We can definitely uh, reschedule for the future if need be. Um, so as of right now, that's the one I set in place. Um, you know, we could possibly, like I said, you know, be making a change. It might just be me and Mr. Cook on, who knows, you know, we might just, you know, have story time or something like that, you know, and they'll tell him, but, but look forward for AJ, man. I, I'm definitely looking forward to that interview because, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of strong transplants, so I've never heard a lot of cancer stories too much. Um, so very excited to get the, the educational side to that and uh, his story as well, um, because you never know, you know, with these other illnesses and, and the connection that they can have to transplant in some kind of way, you know. So to get that information from directly from him is uh, very important. So um, see you guys next week. Please go check out uh, the Second Chance uh, merch on Bonfire. The website is on the uh, commercial, if you'll mind going back, because I can't remember the exact too too long. I'm trying to change it right now. Um, but recently, uh, yesterday, um, we actually started our Second Chat podcast that is now on Anchor and uh, Spotify. Um, I'm in the process of uploading all our previous, well, most of the previous uh, audio parts of the interviews that we've had on this channel um, that is still on, on StreamYard that will allow me to download. Um, and then those will be on. And then um, me and Mr. Cook will be in the thinking process of, you know, what more we can add to uh, to the podcast. Um, and, and we'll make those announcements once we come to an answer on that. So uh, definitely you know, um, anchor.fm backlash a second chance. And we uh, would appreciate your support and following, as well as following on the A Second Chance Facebook page as well that, that has been put up uh, probably about a week ago. So um, we appreciate you uh, for watching now, watching the future replay. Uh, like I said, Alex, man, I appreciate you. We'll definitely have a, a follow-up interview later on in the future, man, to see where you're at, see how you, your journey is going looking for a kidney and things like that and if you have a date or whatever mr cook i will see you next sunday most of i'll probably see you before then but uh we'll definitely be back on here next sunday um eight o'clock pacific i mean eight o'clock eastern time five o'clock pacific with aj and i appreciate y'all for being here i, I will see you next week bye everybody cool. thank you all right. peace thank you, man. all right all right